Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for these, these people who, um, who love your word, who love you, um, and who love your son. Thank you that you have loved them through him. And uh, God, I pray that you would uh, be glorified through this time of worship, that you would help me as, um, as I share um, a little message here today, and that um, it would be pleasing to you and helpful and encouraging to, to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I'm going to start with a little story. So the first time I read the Bible, and I mean really, and I mean really, really read the Bible, not just uh, picked up on a random snippet that was in a TV show or a comic book or a novel or anything like that, was when I was 25 years old. Not 25 now. Um, <sighs> kind of wish I was 25, my knees were better. But um, it wasn't a book that I had grown, grown up around. I don't think we actually had a copy of it in my house um, as, a, as a child. Um, and honestly, it wasn't a book that it even occurred to me that, that I should even read. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I didn't have any real, it didn't have a place in my, my life, or there was even a category for, for it. Um, and I'll be honest, when I started reading it, it wasn't because I had any actual interest in what it said. I just wanted to read it so that I could make fun of a friend who was and is a Christian. Very holy motives there. So, one day, I walked down the street, to, uh, from my house to uh, where there was a Christian bookstore. It's about two blocks away, so very convenient. And so I went inside, and uh, the lady who was at the counter asked me she's, if she could help me find anything. So I said, well, I need a Bible. She says, well, what kind of Bible are you looking for? Is there a specific translation, a specific style, a color? Do you need, a, do you need um, one that's got camo? Do you want a study Bible? What is it that you want? I said, I don't know. I want a Bible. <laughs> so she gave me Eugene Peterson's The Message. Eh, close enough. So... <laughs> I went home with my copy of the message in hand, and I sat down on my couch, and I started reading. And undoubtedly, this lady went home to tell her husband about the weirdest customer she had all day. I had been encouraged, um, as I started reading the Bible, to start with John's gospel. Being, um, being a natural rule follower, I started with Mark. And as I read, I was fascinated by this Jesus person this man who, who made these wild claims like saying that he was God, who was so different than the Jesus that pop culture mocked so incessantly, which up to that point had been the only Jesus that I knew at all. This Jesus that I was reading in this book was not like that one. He was a man who had power over evil who could heal the sick and taught with authority. He was a man of whom his own disciples, get this, the people that, that he spent the most time with in all the world said, who is this man that even the winds and sea obey him when he calmed a storm? 
after he'd been taking a nap during it. He was a man that everyone who encountered him had a reaction to. Every single person who met him had some kind of response because they couldn't not. And so as I kept reading, I started to have a reaction too. And it wasn't the one that I expected. I wasn't finding fuel to make fun of my friend. I found, I, I found that I actually needed to be saved by this, by this man who is God. And guys, that was just reading the message. So if God can do that, God can do that with anything. That's a big deal. And so I joined a church, and on Sundays, I saw a lot of verses on a, on a PowerPoint presentation and in the note handout, um, but I don't remember us actually tackling a specific passage. If you asked me what book of the Bible we were starting, I probably couldn't have told you. Um, now, I can't say that I wasn't learning things because, I mean, as a new believer, you're just learning, you're learning everything. You're like a sponge. It's kind of like being, being a kid. You learn, you learn so much in the earliest years of your life just by being around people. Um, and that's why, you know, most of us who are parents, um, when we hear things that our kids say, we often go, oh, they heard that from me. That's not good. <sighs> so, um, and although, so what I realized though was um, there was something missing. I was being taught principles, good principles, and even biblical ones, but um, I don't know that I was being taught the Bible. I wasn't being grounded in the gospel. I wasn't hearing the good news about Jesus week in and week out, in season and out of season. We were functionally taught to look at the scriptures as basic instructions before leaving earth. And in a sense, we were not unlike some folks called the Pharisees, who Jesus often encountered during his ministry. And these were, the, these were the Bible guys of the Jewish world at the time. They were the ones who were saying that the people just needed to get back to the word and do what it says. They, they genuinely loved their interpretation of the word of God and made it their aim to know it inside and out and follow its commands to the letter. And where God didn't offer a specific command, well, they were so zealous that they added some of their own for good measure. But as they diligently studied the scriptures, they missed something important, something life-changing that was in the scriptures, that was right there in front of them if they had eyes to see. Or maybe it's better to say someone who was standing right in front of them. So listen to what Jesus said to them as they challenged him in his understanding of and obedience to God's word. He said, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. It's John, John 5, 39. Jesus' words to the Pharisees came as they were picking up stones to kill him for making himself equal with God, by saying that God is his father and doing the things that his father did. He was doing these wild and crazy things like healing people on the Sabbath day and forgiving people's sins. 
that's actually a really big deal because only God can forgive sin. And Jesus healing people and forgiving people was him saying, I am the one who can do this. And so this is what we want to focus on over the next few minutes because their problem is our problem as well. They saw what Jesus was doing as blasphemy because it didn't fit their category. They were missing the one who the scriptures that they so diligently studied were pointing to the whole time. And so we have to remember as we, as we seek to grow in Christ and as we seek to grow our children in Christ together, we need to be careful of this, this thing because many of us have been taught or fallen into the belief that the Bible is basically a big book of rules or morality tales or inspirational sayings. And although the Bible does have inspiring moments without question, and it does have, have many stories that illustrate moral truths, and it certainly does include rules because, you know, Leviticus. If this is all we see the Bible as, we're missing out. We'll study this book searching for the secret of eternal life and miss out and miss that he was right in front of us the whole time. Because the Bible is something greater. It is one big story with every text pointing to the one God sent to rescue and redeem his people. And when we get this, it changes everything. And so let's consider very quickly three ways that this, uh, this happens, that this changes how we live and how we view the scriptures. The first way is that it changes how we see the Old Testament by giving us it a foundation for the gospel. That's what the Old Testament is. It is a foundation for, ever, for what God is doing, how God has redeemed his people. And there's a tendency to view the Old Testament as something wholly separate from the rest of the Bible. That God acts one way in the first two-thirds of the book, and then in a totally different way in the other, in the other third of it. But... Maybe you guys, and maybe you guys have seen maybe you guys have seen something in a, on a blog or in a video or you know or in a news article you know especially around Easter time um, that that goes into that. But that idea is wrong. There's no other way to say it. It's just wrong because when we see the Bible as one big story, when we see um, when we see that all of this book points to Jesus, we see that the gospel isn't a response to failed plans of God. We see that it was the plan all along, that it was the fulfillment of everything God had set out to do from the very beginning. So think about it really quickly. When we come to the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we see there right away is that God, isn't, God was never alone there. Because it says, it says later that the Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering over the, the waters. Um, but then John in the New Testament says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he says that the Word was Jesus. And in Colossians 1, uh, 1.16b, can you guys say that with me? All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1.16b. Good job. You guys did it. <laughs> so, um, 
but that's the point. All of this, all of this is, is a reminder that Jesus was there in the beginning and that all authority belongs to him, that everything was created for his purposes. And when we see the first people cast out of the garden, they're not, they're not cast out with hope, without any sort of hope at all. They're cast out with a promise. The hope of a redeemer who is going to crush the serpent and break the curse of sin. And when we come to the law, we, we get, begin to recognize that God isn't saying, act in this way so that I will love you. Do these things, follow all these commands, and then you will be my people. He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of Egypt. Because I've done that, act in this way because you are my people. Not so that you will be, but because you are. Be who you are is what God's commands say. And even, it even changes how we read the book of Leviticus, which I just teased about. But, and I mean, let's just be honest, this is everyone's favorite book of the Bible. But it's not the, it's not the least read, interestingly. That one is Obadiah, and your kids will be studying that in, in uh, winter of 2020. You're welcome. <laughs> um, it helps, and so when we see Leviticus through, the through a gospel lens, it helps us to see the depth of Jesus' love for us, that he fulfilled every single command in that book, no matter how bizarre or obscure it seems to us. And at a minimum, it makes us give thanks because he said it is finished. So it changes how we see the Old Testament because this, the gospel, seeing Jesus in every passage of scripture reminds us that he is the foundation, that the Old Testament is the foundation of the gospel. And it also changes how we see the New Testament because the New Testament is not a new law. It's good news. Now, we are law-driven people. That means that we love to make rules. We, we are, at our hearts, legalists. We want to know what the rules are, just, even if it's just so that we can break them. And we do this with everything, every single thing. Have you ever, like, kids, you're here. You, do you guys love to, you guys, you guys love to know what the rules are, don't you? You know, do, you, do you love to know just so you know how far you can put your toe toward or over the line? Awesome. Okay, some of you are honest. That's good. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. That's what we're all like. And, and grown-ups, we do this too. We do it at work a lot. Um, <laughs> a lot, and we do it with, with Jesus' teachings as well. When we come to the Beatitudes, just think about those where, where Jesus says, you know, blessed are the poor in heart, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth, and so forth. Um, when we read these out of our naturally legalistic hearts, we interpret them as isolated commands. And so we say, well, some are poor, in spirit, others are poor in heart and so forth, and then we ask, start asking questions about enough. Am I poor, am I poor enough in spirit? Um, how do I get, I, I need to be more humble. How do I, how, how humble is humble enough? Um, 
I need to be more merciful. So what, so what does that look like? How much more merciful can I be? But that's not what the text says. Instead, the passage collectively describes, um, uses, these, uses all of these examples to describe the person that God calls blessed, someone who, it is a declaration of grace. And that's important because God offers grace before he offers commands. So in the same way, think about Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, we love to turn fruit into something that we can achieve. So we say, gosh, you know, I need to learn how to be more loving, and I need to work harder at being peaceful, and I need to work harder at being more gooder and things like that. And we need to work on our English because, well, you know. (laughs) And so we think that these are things that we can white knuckle our way into. Can we just be more holy now, please? But the problem is, is that it's fruit. Fruit is exactly that. It's not the result of what we do, it's the result of the Spirit's work in us as we live faithfully in light of what Christ has done for us. It's the result of God's grace as he makes us more like his son. And we do this the same as well with the descriptions of the early church in Acts 2 and 3. You guys um, went through that not that long ago, from what I understand, um, where we read that the believers were selling their possessions and sharing all they had with ev- anyone who had need. And so, this is, and so what we tend to do in our legalism is we go from a descriptive and we make it a prescriptive. That means that we say, we take something that Um, is just saying, this is what happened, and we say, this is what we must do. But that's not what the text says. And because when we do that, we take something, we take it, uh, we take a beautiful description of the fruit of the gospel, a beautiful picture of the gospel at work in the lives of his people, and and we say, this is what you have to do. And that's not right. It's not right at all. What, what happens in our hearts is the outflow, uh, and, the ha- and what happens through in our actions is the outflow of what Christ has done in us and for us, and is doing through us. And we have to remember that the New Testament is not a new law. It is good news. In it, we learn how God, Christ completed the law for us, and by faith, his righteousness becomes ours. God gives us grace, and we live in response to it. That is such good news, isn't it? But that's not all. When we see the Bible as one big story, it doesn't just change how we see the Old Testament. It doesn't just change how we see the New Testament. It changes how we live right now because we know the end of the story. It's it's not easy to live faithfully in this world. It's not easy to look at what's going on in society and politically and in whatever Ali you wanna add in. Um, You know, if you've been on social media, um, you know, nothing's gonna hurt your heart more. But, and because of that, it's, it's really tempting to lose hope 
worse, we can, we can start living in fear and just looking for signs of the end and um, in a wrong kind of way, praying, Jesus, could you just come back right now, please? Um, there's a good way to do that, but not this way, not out of fear. And because that's not what God has intended for us. He's shown us how this story that he is telling through all history, through all time ends, and it's with good news. The story ends with the defeat of sin, that Jesus will come back and put an end to the serpent once and for all. Sin will be no more, death will die, and God's people will rejoice. The story ends with comfort for God's people because when Jesus puts the final nail in sin's coffin, he will wipe every tear from every eye of every single one of us who believe. Jesus cares deeply for every single one of his people and he will comfort each one of us when he makes all things new. The story ends with a promise as well. The promise is, I'm coming soon. And this is such good news. Because we know that there's no question over, uh, over whether or not Jesus will be victorious. We know that there's no doubt that he will return. But it gives us confidence when he says, soon. Soon l- may look a little different for us because we've been holding on to that promise for 2,000 years now. But... God's God's soon is not always our soon. He's coming back. He's coming soon. He's coming when we least expect it. And we have the opportunity to share the good news while we wait for that soon to become now. And that's what seeing the Bible as one big story does. It changes how we see the Old Testament by giving us a foundation for the gospel. It changes how we see the New Testament by reminding us that it's not a new law, but good news. And it changes how we live right now because we know the end of the story and that means that we have hope. It changes everything. So how should we respond to this? What can we do right now? How should we, what should we do in response to what, we've, to what we've heard, to this good news? Well, let me offer three encouragements. First, and this one's probably gonna sound like a strange one, we should repent. We should turn away from our old thinking, our tendency to reduce God's word into a book of rules and inspirational sayings. He wants us to see something bigger in the scriptures, that the gospel is at work from beginning to end. Second, we should pray. Pray that God would help us to see the Bible for what it is, because if all scripture testifies to Jesus, then we must see it. And so let's ask the Lord to help us, because he will do it. And third, we should pursue. This good news is too good to be kept to ourselves. We want to encourage others to see it as well and to join us in the mission that God has called us to, this mission to go and make disciples of all nations, to make Christ known uh, among all people until there's absolutely no one left who needs to hear the gospel. That's what he calls us to, and that's the way that we need to respond. Because this is good news. The gospel changes everything. Seeing Christ in all of scripture changes 
everything about how we read scripture. And that is good news for us because it means that the Bible is more than basic instructions before leaving earth. It is one plan, it's one story, one plan to rescue and redeem God's people. And this is what everyone needs to see in this book because that is what's going to change their lives too. Let's pray together and then we will move on to the next section of our time. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your plan of redemption. Thank you for rescuing us through Jesus. I pray that you would, um, that you would continue to um, redeem people who are here in this room now if there, if there are any who do not believe. I pray that they would know the joy of, of your salvation and that they, would be, that they would be empowered to continue this mission that you have given us. I pray that we would be encouraged as we, as we see the scriptures for what it is, this big story of your, of your redemptive work. And I pray that you would be glorified as we seek to live in light of the gospel and all that you have done for us in Jesus' name.